this morning. Not because I am a great preacher, I certainly am not that, but for this reason, because by the grace of God, he has allowed me to understand what the purpose of the pulpit is. And the purpose of the pulpit isn't a place to preach self-help. The purpose of the pulpit isn't to preach a, a therapy gospel. It's not a political platform. It's not a place to preach social agendas. The pulpit is a place to preach Christ and Christ crucified. People, from the beginning of time, from the beginning of the church, have had their ideas about what the pulpit is for. The Apostle Paul said the Greeks, the, the Jews demanded signs and the Greeks demanded wisdom. But Paul says this, I preach Christ and Him crucified because Christ is our only hope and Christ is our only help. And I'm a bit passionate about this this morning because I saw this grand purpose squandered at best and rejected at worst in Italy and Scotland. And so I come back with a purpose not to let that happen here. I will preach Christ. Is that okay with you? And then I'll ask you this question. Do you trust him? Do you believe that he really knows what he's doing? Does he really know what he is asking of us, requiring of us? I suspect every believer throughout the history of the church has asked that question at least once in the course of their life. So what is your answer to that question? Does the Lord know what he's doing? What he's requiring, perhaps your answer varies according to what's going on in your life or in the life of someone you love or because of what's going on in the world around us. But let me say this very clearly. The answer to that question is not fluid. At all times and in all places, the answer is an unqualified Yes, yes, God knows what he's doing. In the midst of war, God knows what he's doing. In the midst of terrorism, God knows what he's doing. In the midst of political chaos, God knows what he's doing. In the midst of sickness, God knows what he's doing. In the midst of relational turmoil and dysfunction, God knows what he's doing. In workplace drama, God knows what he's doing, and he knows what he requires of us always. And so the questions then that follow that answer, yes, God knows what he's doing, are these. How well will we? How often will we? And under what circumstances will we submit ourselves to God's will? Because you and I, as those who seek to be devoted disciples of Jesus Christ must submit to the will and the word of the Lord. And that's what we're going to talk about as we return this morning. After lo, these many weeks to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're using a pew Bible in front of you, you're going to find that on page 1015. 
1 Peter chapter 2, when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear, read together, the word of the living God. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, this is the word of the Lord. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father, remind us now that the words we've heard, that the book we hold in our hands is your word, written by people, inspired by your spirit, so that we may know your will and your thoughts and your ways. As we come now to your word, bless us with the the ability to see, to understand, to hear. Put Christ before us through this word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I've heard a little scuttlebutt since I've been back, a a little whispering. You all know where I left off in 1 Peter before I went on the mission trip to Italy and vacation time in Scotland. And you knew what was coming up next when I returned, and so I think some of you might have thought that I ended where I ended, hoping that in the time that elapsed, I would either forget where I left off, I would abandon 1 Peter, or that I would skip ahead to something else. I've heard many people ask, are you actually going to tell wives that they have to submit to their husbands? Well... You're going to have to wait and see. What I am going to say to all of us today, every one of us, is that we must all live lives of submission to God's will as he so graciously revealed it to us in his word. We must submit to it as God's word comes to us, not as it's rewritten, not as it's reinterpreted, Not as it's twisted by a culture who finds it inconvenient or unpopular to live by God's Word. No. You and I have got to let God's Word be God's Word without caveat. Without exception for quote-unquote the way it is now. And you and I have to say with gusto, Romans 3 verse 4, Let God be found true. And every man a liar. God is the truth teller. And he tells us the truth through his word. And so his word must rule over us for our good. For the glory of the gospel. And for the growth of God's kingdom. So look again, if you will, at verse 13. The apostle Peter writes there, Be subject for the Lord's sake to... To what? To whom? We're not going to answer that question this morning. 
Because in a sense, the to whom we must submit is penultimate. It is secondary to the why we submit. And yet, too often in our lives, we put the to whom of submission before the why of submission. You know what? That's what causes us to to bristle. That's what makes submission so difficult for us, grating on us like fingernails on a chalkboard. But Peter doesn't do that. Peter puts the why of submission first. So that's what we're going to consider first this morning. The why of submission. And then we're going to actually define what the word means. So first, the why. Why do we submit? Look in verse 13. It's clear. For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. We submit. It isn't about you. It isn't about me. It isn't about our sakes. It's not for our gain. It's not for our reputation. It's not for our advancement. It's not for our self-esteem or for our self-actualization. No, it's for the Lord's sake. It's for the glory of the Lord. It's for the honor of his name that we submit to what he tells us. The English Standard Version, the New American Standard Bible, the NIV, the New King James Version, all translate it the same way, for the Lord's sake. And so I trust that that is a good and right definition. And having said that, I'll add this. In the Greek, the word that each version translates as sake, it's really a little preposition. Dia. D-I-A. Dia. Just a small preposition. And dia simply means through or by. Here's the technical definition. It's a marker of instrumentality. Or circumstance whereby something is accomplished through. It's the way we get something done. And so our submission is not accomplished by our own grit and determination. But instead, through the Lord. Through the gospel of grace. Through the power of the life in us. The life of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the truth of his word spoken to us. And so we could take both of these ideas and put them together and say that we submit for the Lord and we submit through the Lord. It's for his person and his purpose that we submit ourselves. We submit for Christ. For all he represents For all the work that the Lord Jesus is doing in the world in this moment, while you and I sit under the preaching of his word, we submit to his word for Christ's sake, to accomplish that purpose for all that Christ is praying. Even at this moment, as he intercedes at the right hand of God the Father, we submit so that that purpose is accomplished through his power. So whether the submission or the subjection is to human institutions or to those who govern us or to masters or to husbands or to one another, the submission is 
for the Lord and through the Lord. That's why we submit in all things for the sake of Christ as we move on. We need to understand what submission really is. I wish I could provide you a, a clever definition of this word that would elucidate it in a fresh way to your mind so that you would have an aha moment. Oh, so that's what submission means. Can't do that because this word submit or whatever, a subject, whatever version you're using, it means to cause to be in a submissive relationship. That's what it means. To be under, to be subordinate to. Some commentators... Yeah, anything else? <laughs> Is that an AI? Because maybe they should preach instead of me. I got an email today, this week. AI for preachers. And it really, Sermon Spark or something like that, so I can just click on it, I guess, and, and be a better preacher, maybe. I don't know. Some commentators say that uh, the word subject or submit is a synonym for obey, that they are the, the same thing. But I think making submit or subject synonymous with obey misses an important nuance of the word for our lives. The Greek has its own word for obey. Obey is what the wind and the waves did when Jesus commanded them. They obeyed. They calmed down. Obey is what the demons did when Jesus commanded them to come out of a person. They came out. Obey is an action, but Peter doesn't use that word. The Spirit inspires him to write the word subject, which has more the feeling of an attitude than an action especially as it appears here in the passive tense. Submission, subjection is more of an attitude that comes upon us by which we live our lives. Let me illustrate the difference between obey and to submit in this way. I've used this illustration before, but it's a long time ago, and it's a very apt uh, illustration. A disobedient little boy is told by his father, Sit down. So the little boy obeys. And he sits down. And after he obediently sits down, he says to his father, I'm sitting down, but in my heart, I'm standing up. So you see, right action, obedience, wrong attitude, submission. So are you. Are you sitting down while you're really standing up? What's your attitude toward the will and the word of God? Perhaps the Spirit inspired Peter to use this word, subject and not obey, because the goal is to draw out of us, you and me, as devoted disciples of Christ, not some bare legalistic obedience, but an attitude that causes us and enables us to submit in all things, because we know that all authority belongs to God. If you take notes during your sermon, this is a good thing for you to write down right now. In all things, all authority belongs to God. Is that worthy of an amen? 
when we fail to recognize that, we don't submit. When we fail to recognize that all authority and all things belong to God, we can't truly sing in an honest way, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Will all things be well with your soul, with my soul? Not because we like or enjoy what's happening in our lives or in the lives of people we love. Not necessarily because we like what we read in God's Word, but simply because we trust that God knows what He is doing. And the key to being subject is to recognize the authority of God in all things. It's the failure to recognize that authority and the goodness of it and the rightness of it and the beauty of it that has plagued humanity since the beginning of created time. And it's what plunged us into sin in the first place. Adam and Eve would not submit. R.C. Sproul writes, The clearest sensation that a human being has when he experiences the holy is an overpowering, an overwhelming sense of creatureliness. That is, when we are in the presence of God, we're humbled and we become most aware of ourselves as creatures. This is the opposite of Satan's original temptation. You shall be God's. You see, when you and I fix our eyes on the three times holy God, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And when we see the glory of the holiness of God reflected in the face of Jesus Christ, we find our proper place. We get our bearings. We come, become aware that we are indeed the created and not the creator. And we realize the truth of the song that we sing here so often. How great the chasm that lay between us. Between the creator and the created. And when we can sing that song about that great chasm. And when we can believe that it's true, then it isn't much of a jump to sing. For Christ has regarded our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our soul. It is well with my soul. So the easiest way to submit is to understand that God is God and we are not God. Let's say that together. I'm going to say, God is God and we are not God. We say it with me? I want the whole... Fill this place with that truth. You ready? God is God, and we are not God. Easy to say. The challenge that faces us this morning and every day of our lives is to not just believe that intellectually, but make it functionally true in our lives so that each day when we wake up, we relinquish control and to submit to God because we know that he is in control and that his way is best for us. And the only way that I know how to turn unbelief into faith is to set Christ before our eyes. And so you and I have to set all of our objections 
to being submissive over against the Lord Jesus Christ. We say submission isn't fair. We say it's unjust. We say it's demeaning. We say it will cause me hurt or pain. But why do we feel entitled to other? At least in a world that's broken by sin. Not broken by God. Broken by human sinfulness. Look at Christ. Though verse 21 is outside of our purview for this morning. Nevertheless, Peter says there that Christ has left us an example. Let's look at the example of Christ. Here's Jesus at age 12. Mary and Joseph have taken him to Jerusalem. They're on their way back to Nazareth. Three days into the trip, they realize that Jesus is not with them, and you know this story. So they turn around, and they go back to Jerusalem, and they are astonished to find their 12-year-old son in the temple, listening to and asking questions of the temple teachers. And Mary said to Jesus, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they, Mary and Joseph, did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. You see, the fault was not with Jesus. It was Mary and Joseph. They didn't understand. And so what was Jesus' response to being wrongly accused, to being misunderstood by his sinful parents. Listen to what Jesus did. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive, the same word. He was submissive to them. Come on, Jesus, who was perfect in his humanity, did not rebel against the injustice of sinful humanity. His mother his earthly father. There is no possibility that sin did not impact the life of Mary and Joseph as individuals, of them together as a couple, and as they parented Jesus. The decisions they made about him, the commands they gave to him were not perfect. And I don't know if it was a saying back then or not to say, go to your room. (laughs) But if Jesus was ever told, go to your room, It would have been unjustified because Jesus would have never done anything that required him being sent to his room, and yet he would have submitted anyway. He submitted himself to his own law, which says, Honor your father and mother. Even if they were wrong, he submitted himself to them. The Creator submitting himself to the created How can we even comprehend it? And then how can we rebel against him when he asks us to submit? And then what about the garden of Gethsemane? Get on shaky ground, you know, when you try to impute a motivation to Jesus there or what he was thinking. But nevertheless, I think it's a possibility that as Jesus prayed there, let this cup pass from me, perhaps in his humanity. He was thinking, no, Lord, not this way, not the cross. And yet he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. 
submission to the Father. It's so interesting that in both of these examples that Christ has set for us of submission, he's doing the will and the work of the Father. Teaching in the temple as a boy and praying in the garden as a sacrificial lamb, your will be done. And that's what made it well with the soul of Jesus. He submitted to the indignity and the injustice, not only of the cross, but in the entirety of his incarnate life because he knew he was accomplishing the will of the Father. So we should not wonder when he tells us that we must submit for his sake because he knows the end that we cannot see. So, do you trust him? Do you trust him with your life? With the life of someone else? With your reputation? With the way you'll be viewed if you follow him as a devoted disciple? And if you submit to his will and to his word, do you trust him? To take care of you. Christ did. On the cross. He felt forsaken. But he said. Father. Into your hands. I commit my spirit. And so he went to the grave. He went to the tomb. Trusting. That his spirit. Would be safe. With the father. He had already told the disciples. Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. And so he submitted himself to the cross, to death, with that hope. (laughs) And that hope was neither misplaced nor disappointed. God did indeed raise Jesus from the dead. Is that good news? We can never submit or subject If we don't know God the Father as Jesus knew him, completely and unfailingly trustworthy. We must trust that he knows what he's doing with our lives and what he's asking of our lives. Do you? Because he is God and we are not God. We must trust him for the end that we cannot see, for the path that we do not understand. Do you? If you do, then you can submit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just ask simply this. Undo whatever it is in our hearts and our lives and our culture that makes us forget that you are God and we are not God. Give us a proper perception of ourselves as the created and you as the creator and help us and always and all of our lives to submit to your will and to your way. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.